This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Michael Hyatt's new book, Entrepreneurs Will Save the World. Discover how anyone can build the resilient mindset of an entrepreneur. Learn more at leadtowin slash entrepreneurs. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt-Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast where we talk about how to win at work and succeed at life. And today we're going to be talking about entrepreneurialism. And Megan, this is kind of fun because I've got a brand new book called Entrepreneurs Will Save the World. But I want to talk about entrepreneurship and why it matters at this particular moment in history. Well, I'm super excited to talk about this. This is a passion of both of ours. And, you know, in the early days of COVID, which it's funny to be able to talk about it like it's in the past, you know, in that way, in the beginning part anyway, um, we really started to see the economic disruption. And we were talking to all of our friends and all of our business accelerator coaching clients who are entrepreneurs and business owners. And we realized pretty quickly that the economic recovery was going to be dependent on these folks, you know, that if we were going to get out of this, it really wasn't going to be because of the initiatives of the government, although that, you know, has arguably been helpful, um, but not without consequences. But it was really going to be on individuals to figure out how to get us out of this mess one business at a time. Um, and, And that message, I think, is really timely and really empowering right now. Yeah, and I'm reminded of the movie Dunkirk. In fact, I yes. end the book with this uh, story. But in the movie Dunkirk, there's the story of the British Army basically being stuck on the in Western Europe, not able to get off the continent, get back to Europe. They're surrounded by the Nazi forces. And so they can't get these big British destroyers and, and other ships in there to rescue them because the water's too shallow. And so Churchill makes this plea to get for all the merchant ships, for all the small ships to go across the English Channel and just in in small groups, basically get these couple hundred thousand soldiers uh, off the mainland back to Britain. And it's an incredibly inspiring story, but it's also a fit metaphor for what we're talking about here because the government probably does have a role to play, right? I mean, they've done, they've done some things, but there's, it's not like, even though they sometimes act like it, it's not like they have an endless supply of of money. They don't want to tank the company by overinflating, you know, the money supply. And that's why we go back to its entrepreneurs. If the world's going to be saved, it's going to be entrepreneurs solving it one problem at a time. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about this is entrepreneurialism has been on the decline for a long time, for decades, actually. Um, And so it's interesting because we're, we're in a time of great affluence up until COVID, you know, so many things have been uh, positive for business owners and entrepreneurs that would encourage them to get into business. And yet it's not happening. Um, And one of the things that one of my uh, favorite podcasts is a podcast called Conversations with Tyler. Um, the, The host is Tyler Cowan, who's an economist at George Mason University. And he has a a whole theory of complacency as being a reason why we're not having higher growth rates. It's really fascinating. It's too complicated to get very far into here today. But I think that one of the the applicable points is that in a time of great affluence, it's really hard to motivate people to do big breakthrough thinking, you know, to start new things, to innovate. And what's happening right now with COVID is we're seeing the rates of people starting businesses explode all of a sudden. And I think that's precisely because we are suddenly and 
violently uh, just jarred out of that place of complacency. And while that has been painful and costly in so many ways, it's actually a great thing for innovation and growth. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, let's look at some of the statistics. Okay, so here's the bad news. Lots of small business closures and a drop in entrepreneurship before 2020. Okay, so the U.S. lost more businesses during the first three months of the crisis than it normally does in an entire year. That's according to the Wall Street Journal. Before 2020, the share of new startups as a percentage of overall businesses had fallen 44% since the late 1970s. So a consistent downward trend yeah. in entrepreneurship. But here's the good news. Number of entrepreneurs have increased in 2020, as you just referenced. In fact, applications to start new businesses have increased by 15.6% mm -hmm. from 2.7 million to 3.2 million in 2020 compared to the same time the previous year. And that's all via the census data that came in that Wall Street Journal uh, article. So, you know, it's it's a good time for entrepreneurship right now. I, in fact, let me just quote from that Wall Street Journal article because I think this is is relevant. Americans are starting new businesses at the fastest rate in more than a decade, according to the government data. Seizing on pent-up demand and new opportunities after the pandemic shut down and reshaped the economy. Mm -hmm. So I think I think part of the issue there is I think we need to go back, Megan, to define what we mean when we talk about entrepreneurs, because we're not yeah. just talking about business owners. This isn't a role. It's not a class of business people. This really, and this is the argument that I make in the book, it's a mindset. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important, you know, because it would be easy for our listeners right now to say, well, you know, I have a, a traditional nine to five job. I'm not an entrepreneur. You know, I work in a corporation. I'm not an entrepreneur. And that's not what you think. No, that's not what I think. And, and, and certainly if you think you're not an entrepreneur, you probably won't be entrepreneurial. But I'd like to think that everybody of our 40 employees at Michael Hyatt and Company, I think they're all entrepreneurial in their own way. Absolutely. And here's, here's how I define being an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurialism is basically the willingness to solve a problem that takes into consideration some risk in the pursuit of some kind of reward. Mm -hmm. Okay, so solving a problem, that's number one. That's the first part of it. And in fact, I've said to our business accelerator coaching program clients, I've said, do we have more problems today than we've ever had in at least recent memory, perhaps even in our lives? And of course, everybody says, yes, you know, there's problems everywhere. Everywhere you turn, right. you can't help but confront a problem. <laughs> so for entrepreneurs, though, they see problems in a different way than non-entrepreneurs. So entrepreneurs see, op see problems as opportunities. So that's the first thing. Yeah. And this is a big deal. I think thinking about problems as opportunities is counterintuitive. And I would say counterintuitive um, solution-based thinking is a real hallmark of entrepreneurialism. You know, that's just a, a characteristic that is really important to think. And it's, it's that's a characteristic that's really important to grab a hold of and develop within yourself because it's incredibly empowering. All of a sudden, you're not limited by conventional wisdom or just what you see on the news there's a kind of ownership that's a part of that, that you're kind of taking charge of your life. You're taking charge of how you see the world. You're taking charge of how you're going to act. And I think uh, right now, especially, that gives people a sense of control. And what they can come up with is just astonishing. Well, it is. It's true. I mean, if you look at any product that you use, whatever it is, it was the solution to a problem. It either made the problem cheaper to fix, easier to fix faster to fix. One of the things that entrepreneurs do is, is eliminate friction. 
you know? And so, so whatever the innovation is, whether it's, you know, the automobile or the smartphone or whatever, you know, it, it was a solution to a problem that somebody perceived. And in fact, some of these solutions, we didn't even know we had a problem until somebody offered the solution. Absolutely. You know, I was meeting last week with some app developers that do some uh, really big projects for big corporations and organizations. And they were telling us about a new platform that they launched called Juno Live, J-U-N-O Live. And this is um, an event platform, a virtual event platform where they can host up to 50,000 people at a, at a live event virtually. Um, all of the links are internal. You know, you don't have to send people to Zoom outside of Zoom. It's all internally hosted so that you don't lose people. It's amazing how uh, they've crafted the experience. They've included all these community aspects, all of these ways that you can provide resources in a really slick way. And this product was birthed six months ago at the beginning of COVID when they saw that companies like ours and companies much, much, much bigger than ours and organizations were going to be trying to figure out how to reach their audiences in a virtual way that rivaled what they were able to do in person. And it was just so impressive to watch them uh, walk us through this product and share what they've done. And that's, you know, that's just a small examples. And there are countless examples like that, but where they took a problem that everyone was, was frustrated by, or they were about to be frustrated by, and they created an incredible solution. Yeah, I love that. And like you said, the the examples abound. I, I went to the gym this morning and after I showed my ID, you know, they scanned that. Then I had to stand in front of, and we've been doing this now for months, I had to stand in front of this really slick camera. I, I it, it looks like something out of the future. And it shows your face and then it, it has a ring around it and you put your face in the ring and then it immediately reads your temperature. Right. My I mean, kids have that at their school. Really? Yeah. They do yeah, it every day that, on the way in. I don't know if that existed, you know, uh, last year, mm-hmm. but somebody saw a problem and they saw it as an opportunity. And so they created that solution. You know, Zoom is another great example. You know, one of the best examples coming out of the pandemic, you know, they were just in the video conferencing business. A lot of people in the video conferencing business. I think they had something like 12 million users. Now they've got hundreds of millions of users, but they've also not just let their program, you know, just scale. They've also changed it. You know, now you've got breakout rooms. You've got the ability to hide yourself, which sounds like a small thing, but in a Zoom call, the the less data you have to process, the the longer you can sort of sustain engagement. But, uh, and that was one of the things they found based on the science, based on their, their research that would help people sort of avoid or minimize Zoom fatigue. But again, there's a problem. Somebody decided to solve it. That spelled opportunity. And that kind of brings us, you know, to the next part of the definition. And and that is there's usually some risk involved. Maybe it's the risk of capital, or it's certainly the risk of investment of time. But then there's also the reward. Now, the most obvious one, if you're thinking of an entrepreneur, not as a mindset, but as, you know, sort of a traditional role, is the reward is financial. You know, I'm going to risk this thing in the hopes that I can make some money. By the way, nothing wrong with that. You know, that's that's a good thing. You know what I was thinking of, actually, that's really great about innovation. One of the reasons we should all be pursuing it is that it creates opportunity for other people. You know, right now we're yes. in the middle of hiring several positions. We'll probably hire seven positions in total before the end of the year because we've actually um, increased our forecast. We're aggressively pursuing some new initiatives. We need additional staff in order to do that. 
And what's amazing about that, and you know, we're a relatively small company, um, but that means seven more jobs for people who may have lost their job during the pandemic, who may have the opportunity to move into a better job than the one that they're in right now. Um, and if you think about that, while we're not a very big company compared to you know the massive corporations that are out there. We don't need to be because if you just multiply this times all the companies out there, the people that are kind of on the front end of this, who are leaning in, who are figuring out um, innovative solutions, have the opportunity not only to create a reward for themselves, but this reward enables them to create more opportunity for other people, which is why the title of this book is Entrepreneurs Will Save the World. Because when you uh, when you pursue something yourself, it necessarily involves a team and therefore opportunity for more people than just you. Well, and just to add to that, kind of a third level, you know, the first level, there's a reward for the person who solves the problem. Maybe it's, you know, if they work for somebody else, maybe it's, it may lead to a promotion mm-hmm. or it may uh, lead to a pay increase. So there's that kind of aspect, or maybe it's simply the satisfaction from doing it or the esteem that comes from doing it. So there's the personal part of it. As you pointed out correctly, there's the reward for the customers or the clients or the people that benefit directly. But then there's sort of the third level of the reward, an indirect reward that society experience overall. You know, you've heard it said that a rising tide raises all ships, and it's true. But in addition to that, you think of sort of the tax base. You know, right. all those people that, you know, we pay taxes, the people we hire pay taxes, as they have more money and can spend it on more stuff, that generates additional tax revenue. Yep. So this is, you know, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs contribute to the collective good. And this is why I object to the idea that entrepreneurs should give back. Mm-hmm. Now, here's what I'm not saying. <laughs> I think that entrepreneurs, I think everybody should be as generous as they possibly can be. You know, I, I take great delight in the philanthropic and charitable causes that I'm involved in. You know, everything from building schools in Africa to, you know, helping support education to whatever it is, you know, whatever, whatever you know, gets you excited and you contribute to. But I object to the idea that it has to be done as a matter of obligation, as though as an entrepreneur, I extracted something for the environment. Right. And now I have to give it back. No. Right. This is not a zero-sum game. Entrepreneurs create value. And we talked about three ways in which they create value. You know, I'm just by hiring people, keeping people employed. We didn't lay off a single person during the pandemic. That's a public good. Yep. The fact that all these people pay taxes, that's a public good. You know, that's a that's a contribution. Now, if you want to appeal to me to contribute just because this is a worthy cause, great. You know, I'm all in. I'm all ears. But I, I think this this notion of we got to give back is, what's the word I'm looking for? Misdirected. It is misdirected. I mean, I, I think it's problematic because, uh, first of all, you know, we're we're paying taxes and then we're creating opportunity for other people, which impacts those families. You know, one of the greatest joys that I have as an employer, and this is like a funny kind of small thing, but is providing excellent health insurance to our employees. We have killer health insurance. And, you know, I know that for a lot of people, that's a real struggle. And every time we hire somebody, I get really excited about what I know that that's going to mean for their family. You know, when you just think about the people that we employ and the fact that they're, they have the opportunity to have a, a high level of wellness in all parts of their life, 
you know, that's a big deal. That's like not something to be taken lightly. Not the, uh, you know, least of which would be the contribution just financially um, as, you know, we're paying competitively and all that kind of stuff really beyond competitively. So um, that just gets me excited because what I see are people uh, doing exciting things in their life. You know, they're buying houses, they're sending their kids to great schools. They're, um, you know, they're they're in better health than they were when they started. And, and that's all really rewarding. And that's some of the stuff we're talking about when we're talking about the impact of entrepreneurs, you know, and you can do many of those things regardless of whether you're the business owner or not. No, I think that's exactly right. So let's talk about some of the reasons why we're so confident that entrepreneurs are going to get us out of this, this mess that we're in. And, and by the way, I think both of us would agree on this. This is not an overnight fix. No. You know, this is going to be a while digging out. I don't know if it's going to be several months or several years, but we got to dig out of this. I, I do think that it, I've, I've been hopeful about the fact that unemployment has, uh, those numbers have gone back down, which is good. Maybe not, you know, maybe you could argue not as fast as they should, but given the shutdown and everything else, I think the rebound on that has been encouraging. You know, the, the trick is, and this is the needle that government and public health officials have to thread, is sort of this dance between opening the economy mm-hmm. and also keeping people safe. Right. It's tough. Okay. So reason number one is that entrepreneurs are focused on solutions. And I think this kind of gets to the idea of resilience. Um, we've talked a lot about resilience lately, and a lot of people are talking about resilience because it's maybe our biggest superpower going through this pandemic and the fallout surrounding it. Um, but, you know, you'll hear a lot of people, uh, maybe people that you work with, maybe neighbors, uh, people on Facebook, spending a lot of time talking about what's wrong. And it's not hard to find what's wrong because there's a lot that's wrong, right? Um, I think that the problem with that after a while, and certainly we, you know, we have to process our emotions and all that's important. There really are significant challenges here. But the problem is it's totally disempowering. And, you know, I think we have to ask ourselves, are we going to adopt kind of an, uh, a victim mentality for what looks like it could be as much as a two-year period of time, you know, where a lot of people are saying this won't be gone until later next year. Who knows? We'll have to wait till we get there to find out how it all worked out. But, you know, I, for one, feel like that's a huge loss, a loss of creativity, a loss of innovation, a loss of uh, taking control of the things that you can. And I think that entrepreneurs, whether in their mindset or their professional role, are people who are focused on solutions. When they see problems, they start thinking about solutions instead of thinking about why things can't work. This is the other reason why it's helpful that entrepreneurs are pursuing these solutions, because the government tends to deal with us in mass. Right. You know, there's only a certain number of problems that they can deal with. And they're dealing with, you know, not the the granular problems that all of us are dealing with, you know, in our day-to-day lives. They just can't. But that's the great thing about entrepreneurs. They can see specific problems in their local community that affect a specific number of people or kind of person that they're they feel called to serve. And therefore you sort of get this this crazy uh benefit of what happens through sort of disorganized but interested parties trying to solve problems at scale. Absolutely. Well, you know, we should stop and say for a second that um, entrepreneurs, again, whether they're in mindset or their particular professional role, don't have to be just in the for-profit section of, you know, business and organizations, right? Um, 
they don't have to be in the for-profit sector. They can be in the nonprofit sector. I mean, I think about what church leaders are having to do right now, what nonprofit leaders are having to do right now, um, the kind of problems that they're solving through schools, um, all kinds of organizations that are serving people in different ways. I mean, the people that are doing it the best are doing it with an entrepreneurial mindset. They're seeing problems and immediately thinking about solutions regardless of their context. And it's really inspiring. You know, I think this is, you know, a little bit of a test here when it comes to this mindset. And that is when somebody comes to you with your problem, what's your first thought? Maybe not your first one. I think we need to all give ourselves permission (laughs) to, you know, kind of groan or sigh when we hear about a problem. But, and this is where the resilience comes in. I think people with an entrepreneurial mindset, and if you're listening to this, you can test yourself this way. Do you eventually get to the place where you start fantasizing about a way to solve that problem? And, and begin to see it as an opportunity. And probably a lot of us at this point are thinking, sheesh, how much longer do I have to do this resilience thing? Like I'm worn out with all the pivoting. I'm worn out with all the needing to come up with solutions. I think here's the good news though. We get better at this with practice. It's like a muscle that we develop. On the one hand, certainly there can be fatigue and exhaustion and we have to figure out how to deal with that mentally and emotionally. But the good news is, is that over time, we really do get better at this. We get stronger. It comes more easily to us. Um, and I think that should give us all hope. I mean, good grief. By the end of this, we're going to be, you know, some kind of superheroes, I think. <laughs> well, I can remember going through the Great Recession mm-hmm. and thinking to myself, man, you know, I've now gone through sort of this once in a lifetime, every hundred years kind of issue. So I'll never have to face this right. again. And it was it was hard. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, it was really hard. But our our business, the business I was running at the time, did extremely well. It accelerated some decisions that we should have made before the Great Recession. And so there was a lot of good that came out of it. And, and you know, to be honest, there were some bad things, too. Obviously, we had to lay off some people. And, right. You know, even in this pandemic today, there are bad things that are happening. Yeah. No question about that. We don't need to minimize that. But um, the thing I noticed, you know, just to your point, if we get better at this, when it came to the pandemic, when that hit, I was a little bit surprised it didn't rattle me. Hmm. You know, I didn't worry about it. I didn't stay up at night like I did in the Great Recession when I couldn't sleep. I slept every night. Oh, now, that's, that's not because I'm superhuman. It's just practice. Right, right. Well, it's good that we can practice and get better because I think we're going to need that. Um, all right, let's move on to uh, reason number two that we feel confident that entrepreneurs are going to get us out of this mess. <laughs> and that is that entrepreneurs are endlessly resourceful. Um, I have to tell you a, a cool story that I heard. Uh, I think it was last week, actually. I was listening to a Brene Brown podcast uh, with the author of that book, Stretch, which I have not read that book, but I know that we included it in uh, Leader Books, our um, membership uh, program around reading leadership and productivity books a couple years ago, I think. And they were talking about how to think about resources and the difference um, in how you think about resources when you have lots of resources and how you think about them when you don't. And the author was was telling the story of, you know, if, if you give, you know, resources to someone who has a lot of resources, it's very difficult for them to, to think outside of the literal application of that resource. So, you know, if you think about having a hammer, 
uh, and and you got lots of hammers and lots of nails, all you think is that thing can can drive a nail, right? But if you're someone who doesn't really have very many resources at all, you start thinking of all different things that you could do with that hammer. You start thinking about you could use it to prop something open. You could use it to pick something up. You know, you could use it to pull something out. I mean, there's, you know, there are all kinds of ways that you could attack a problem with a certain kind of instrument. And I think that's kind of what we're talking here about here is that when you have an entrepreneurial mindset, all of a sudden the resources that you have available to you suddenly get used in unconventional ways, in ways that um, expand their capacity or their impact. And you're really not limited in the same way you are when you see things in a very simple, literal way. Yeah, that's really good. I was thinking about an example I used in my previous book, The Vision Driven Leader, where I talk about the Wright brothers. Mm Mm-hmm. So the U.S. government saw that if they could create manned flight, it would be a huge military advantage, not to speak of the the commercial advantage of people being able to travel faster. So they actually funded several different groups to invent manned flight. They, They came to believe that it was possible. They funded a number of organizations. They gave hundreds of thousands of dollars, which at the time was a lot of money, to different organizations to figure this out. Well, the Wright brothers took none of that money. And these were two guys that didn't have a college education. I'm not even sure they finished high school. I can't remember. But uh, at any rate, they were basically guys that owned a bicycle shop. And they decided to start fooling around, kind of solving the problem, and ended up creating man flight, which is is such a great story of resourcefulness because they they didn't have all the money the other groups did. And the groups that had the money were not able to develop uh, man flight as fast as the Wright brothers did. Mm Mm-hmm. So it just goes to show you that the resources, and, and we've all been in this position where we said, gosh, if I just had more money, or if I just had more time, or if I just had better contacts, some kind of resource, if I had another resource, I could succeed. And I'm just, I'm looking at this book on uh, Amazon Stretch. The subtitle is called Unlock the Power of Less and Achieve More Than You Ever Imagined. And I think that's another mindset yep. shift. In fact, it's one of the eight mindsets that make up the entrepreneurial mindset that I talk about in the book, but resourcefulness is something that has to be cultivated. You have to see lack of resources, and listen to me, this is important. You have to see lack of resources as a benefit, not an obstacle. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens usually when you have constraints, and you know, we have talked about this, we're going to continue to talk about it because it's such a relevant idea right now, is that constraints drive innovation. And so when you have greater constraints, and sometimes the more extreme, the better, you know, that's when you get some incredible breakthrough that you never would have had access to, except that the constraints were so ridiculous that you had to think things you've never thought before. And boom, there's a solution that shows up that, you know, just would never have been something you could have grabbed a hold of previously. Um, But really, constraints are our friends. And once you start seeing that and kind of adopting that as as a way of being, you become so much more resourceful. You spend a lot less time being frustrated by your lack of resources and use the resources you have in unconventional ways that produce a huge impact. Well, in fact, we did an entire episode just recently on Lead to Win about the power of constraints. And I would encourage you guys to listen to that. We'll link to it in the show notes. Okay, let's go on to the third reason. First one, entrepreneurs are focused on solutions. Second one, entrepreneurs are endlessly resourceful because of their mindset. And then finally, entrepreneurs are all of us. Yeah. And I love this quote from Ludwig von Mises, an economist, who said, quote, in any real and living economy, every actor is always an entrepreneur. Mm. It's great. It's such a great quote. 
So I think this is something, as, as we've said, kind of as we've gone through this episode, you need to start thinking of yourself as an entrepreneur if you're truly going to be a contributing member of society. You don't have to start a business. You don't have to be a founder. You don't have to be CEO. You can just be anybody at any level of the organization in any kind of organization, for-profit, nonprofit, education, military. Just decide that you're going to embrace problems as opportunities you're going to see a lack of resources as a benefit, and you're going to work toward this reward that we talked about earlier, this threefold reward for yourself, for the people you're serving, and for society at large. Well, to me, when I think of entrepreneurs being all of us, I think of people who take ownership. You know, when I think about our own company and the entrepreneurial spirit that we have within Michael Hyde and Company, I think the one of our core values is total ownership. And I think that... Um, Total ownership is probably the thing that's driving that entrepreneurial spirit with every person on our team. It's the idea that the results I'm getting in my work are the direct result of my leadership, even if I'm not a leader in the traditional sense. And uh, that's a really empowering place to be. It's also a place of accountability. It's a place of holding your own feet kind of to the fire in terms of, you know, it's on me to solve this problem. You know, as we were talking about seeing problems as solutions or seeing problems as an invitation to come up with solutions. Um, I think when people take ownership, then that's what they're just automatically going to be thinking out. This isn't about, this is not someone else's job. This is my job to figure out this problem. What if I could figure out this problem? What would that mean for me? What would it mean for the people that I'm serving? What would it mean for the company that I'm working in or the organization that I'm a part of? Um, and that's really exciting. I think it also does something that if you are a leader, you may um, have a tendency to minimize, and that is that it gives meaning and purpose to your team. Um, what it means is that every single person on your team can contribute in a meaningful way to the work you're doing and to the people that you're serving. And no person's role is too small to make a significant contribution. I mean, you never know where the best solutions are going to come from. And it might come from a totally out of left field department or position. And if you can set that up, that everybody has a voice, everybody has an opportunity to contribute, you will get the best contribution out of your team and people will stay with you. They'll grow with you. Um, and they'll really lean in and give you their best thinking. Okay. So we've been talking about three reasons that we're confident entrepreneurs are going to get us out of this mess. And by the way, this is the reason I'm not optimistic. Mm -hmm. This is a reason I have confidence. I think this is going to lead to so many breakthroughs. Uh, I don't want to go back to normal. You know, the new normal once we get to it, is going to be so much better because this is what happens every time. I mean, I think there were enormous benefits that came as a result of the Great Recession. Again, certain tragedies, certain hard things, but in many cases, in most cases, it led to good results, and I think this, this will as well. Well, Dad, I agree with that 100%. I think this is such an empowering message, so exciting. And for those of you listening, I want to just encourage you, if you've enjoyed this episode, you have got to get this book, and not just for you, but for your team, for your friends, for your fellow entrepreneurs in spirit or in work. Um, you need this book. This is going to empower you and uh, really make you feel excited again about the future. That's our intention with it. Um, all you have to do is just go to entrepreneurswillsavetheworld.com. You can find out all all about the book and where you can get your copy. Okay, guys, thanks for listening. And we'll see you right here next week. Until then, lead to win. This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Michael Hyatt's new book, 
entrepreneurs will save the world. Discover how anyone can build the resilient mindset of an entrepreneur. Learn more at lead2.win slash entrepreneurs.